Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team so we're here in glendale and it's socks degrees and paul canerico is here and my first question to paul canerico is what's the average day for paul canerico currently right now uh, as far as my routine my itinerary like, on the what day what do you do what are you doing well in short whatever my wife tells me that's number one but uh get up uh I got three kids that need to get, right now I have three kids that go to three different schools, uh, three different start times, three different finish times. So uh, I'm getting usually two of them together uh, to go to school together, uh, you know, in in the car uh, or the other one. So getting kids to school is a big thing. Um, After that, usually try to get a workout in, um, if you can't tell. And uh, (laughs) no, I feel terrible. I need to get back on track. Uh, This whole COVID thing, I've been kind of in a, uh, spiral since the beginning of that. Like I think a lot of people can relate, but I need to, I need to get it back, but a little workout, maybe a little golf. Um, if I can fit it in, maybe a little practice session or something along those lines. And then by that time, that's all over. Kids need to be picked up. Dinners need to be made, maybe practices, uh, they need to be brought to, and then, uh, do it all again the next day. I got two things on that. One, do you know what other people look like in a spiral? <laughs> Depends. There's a few, yeah, but because if this I, is the spiral, well, you know, it's all it's all relative to who you are. But I've uh, I definitely uh, I retired when I was 38, and I had my 46th birthday a few weeks ago. And in the last years, like the first time I felt really different than even when I was playing or retired. Yeah. Right, like where it's like, okay, I'm old, older. Like I'm, I feel like this is what everybody's been talking about, kind of thing where less motivation to want to get in there, um, work out, less terrible diet. You know, my, diet, my diet's never been great, but I've always been able to like trumpet with the workouts, you know, or work. But right now I feel like I'm, I'm underwater there. You know what I mean? Like my diet's bad and I can't catch up. And then you start having like the body things, right? Like you can't go as hard as you used to. And you, you have like one workout that's kind of like, oh, it was a great workout. The next day you wake up and you can't get out of bed. You know, it's like, that, that stuff is kind of like, this is the first year, year and a half where that stuff has kind of started to happen. I'm like, oh, all right, this is what they've been talking about, you know, so. Things have changed so much since you retired. It, it, they, they always say things change, but I feel like the last five, six, seven years. So you walk in here and we talk about nutrition. Um, you know, you wear a wristband and you're gonna find out if you're light on this and a little too heavy on that. <laughs> How would you have adapted to that? I mean, you probably just would have because you were active, but would that have been hard for you? Um, 
I mean, I think it's it's like you say, things change. Um, and, and there's no doubt, I think in the last, whether it's technology or whatever that's involved with it, it's been really ramped up over the last five or six years, even comparable to any other span. Um, as a player, when you're doing it, I think that um, it's, it's a little bit more gradual, you know, because you're involved in it. But yeah, if I would have been out of the game and then came back in and see what's going on now, I mean, I've already seen things since I've been here today. We were just talking with um, Brian Johnson in the video room about what goes on in there. And that's crazy some of the stuff in terms of like what's expected now or what's the norm um but By i think way, is bj it, paying you to, to make sure that you mention his name clearly okay. clearly i have uh that, that, that's his vibe yeah right? no no doubt um <laughs> <laughs> definitely give him a little plug in there yeah. he's in he's in the hole in there all the time yes. and uh that's he does a great job comes from. yeah he's in the hole, <laughs> he looks like he has a, he that is probably the one constant i don't think he's shaved since <laughs> since i retired um but, you know, I mean, I just think it's, it's, a, it's a gradual thing. I'm sure there was things in the middle of my career I was doing that if some guy walked back in that had been out of the game for five or 10 years, he'd walk back and be like, what's this? This is like crazy. I, we never did this when I played, you know. Um, so th there's always that constant evolution of the player of the game. And um, as an ex-player, it, it is very, uh, whether it's like the unwritten rule stuff or the stuff we're talking about, it's very easy to get like, well, this isn't as good as when I played. Like, this should be, this is bad. You know, this is, that's your knee-jerk reaction always is, like, if it's different, it's not as good as when I, you know. And it's, so I, I get that, and you definitely have those urges. But the reality is, and I've always kind of related it to, like, music, the, the music that's great is usually deemed by, like, the young people, right? Like, high school, college, that's what's popular, that's what's great. And you're not going to tell them about, like, the music that you liked. And... You just have to, as you get older, you have to punt on that and just be like, you know what? Like my time is kind of come and gone. This is what's great. And this is what's good. And this is what the norm is. And this is like kind of what's right at the moment. And um, it's their time. And so I don't, I don't get too caught up in that kind of stuff. You know, I kind of, I try to learn about it. I try to see what, and some of it is like, this is bad. This is a bad idea. Like this, this should go away. This was better when I played. But most of it, you try to say that kind of stuff, it never comes off well. The bad, the old guy always comes off looking worse. Right. Right. You just, you always come off looking worse if you try to tell why it was better when you played, you know. That's a great segue. You remind me of one of your contemporaries and a guy you played against a lot, Derek Lee. And the thing I always loved about Derek and his managers loved is put him in the lineup every day. Don't have, doesn't have to come to the office until we tell him he made the all-star team. And you were that kind of player for the White Sox for a long time. But I remember seeing Derek in an off season about five years ago. And I think he retired in 2010, 2011. So a little before you did. And Derek was very honest about what he was good at and what his maybe his weaknesses were. And he just looked at me and said, I can't believe how good the players are now. Mm. Like he was blown away. And Derek Lee, as you know, was a great player. But even he was like, this is different. Do you ever have those moments where you're watching a game no, and you're like, wait a yeah. minute, he just hit a home run on a 101 mile an hour fastball up at the chin? Are you kidding me? No doubt. I mean, even just the type of player I was, like you can't just be a first baseman now that you know, is just maybe at best adequate for, I mean, like just the style, almost everything going on, everything is so heightened, the athleticism out there. Um, I, I watch guys, I was at um, Grand Canyon University a few weeks ago. Uh, there's a, a hitting hitting guy that had some pros out there, major league guys, minor league guys. And I'm, this is probably the first time I've been up close to the cage in a while, years. 
and it was frightening to see how hard these guys were hitting balls and how far they were hitting balls. And I'm sitting here going, like, I've had a better career than him, 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 statistically. And I'm looking at these guys going, there's no way I could have in my best days done what this guy is doing right now in this batting cage onto this field. Like, so there is definitely like everything. And, and I feel like, you know, anybody who would have came back again that played in the 60s or 70s and watched. But again, I just think that there's been a jump in because I think players take care of themselves a lot better. I think they're much um, mentally, they're doing more things to get better and figure out ways to get better because probably a lot of technology exists. They can do that. And so you're just seeing a breed of player um, that is just, you know, maybe there's been a, a break in the, you know, especially with the pitching, we know how hard guys throw and all that. There's just something that's different that wasn't on the natural progression that used to be from 60s to 70s to 80s. There just seems to be a spike of uh, some crazy talent um, and, and being able to pull it off out there. I just wonder what you would have been like now, though, and obviously it's not possible, but talking to you about hitting, when we had you in the booth a couple, a couple years ago, your analytical mind for hitting. We could do an entire podcast of have a monitor, show PK swings, and you'd be like this, 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 this. <laughs> what do you think you would have been like with all the video and everything available now? Um, well, it could be, I would say two things. Um, a lot better as a player or I'd be sitting here in a straight jacket, one or the other, because there's a lot of rabbit holes you can go down. And I definitely have the mind that um, was hungry for that stuff and I don't shy away from it. And I don't, uh, so it, it's something you have to monitor. Um, and, and I think maybe that might've been the only thing, um, I hate to even use these words, but I might've been ahead on or ahead of my time in terms of like wanting to care about all of the, all of that stuff. There were other guys too, but I'm saying like I was maybe um, there's guys now caring about that stuff for sure that are looking at, you know, 3D imaging of where their body is in space and all that. And um, I was always into that back then and wanted to know answers for things. So, um, but you know, it is at the end of the day, the great thing about like say hitting, for example, is um, my beliefs on what makes a good swing and where you need to be and the things that need to kind of transpire in a swing. Um, I don't think all the stuff that's going, you're still going to arrive at the, at the same answer today as you were 10 years ago, as you were 20 years ago. It changes a little bit over time because why the pitching changes, right? Like how guys pitch. If you go back and watch swings from like the 60s and 70s, you see different characteristics because guys were throwing different, different then. And so swings kind of morph towards that. And then you see guys maybe through the 90s throwing sinkers and sliders and everything down and then you started to see swings kind of morph to that and now right now it appears over the last couple of years you see the pitchers maybe having the upper hand and so now it's kind of fun to see how are guys fighting to, to kind of like get back and adjust as a league to that you know I, I think about those things I watch those things and I used to have great talks with Mike Gellinger about that kind of stuff and it's all true and real, but only the guys who have kind of been like in there and kind of see it can kind of understand, um, understand it um, in a way that's, you know, at, that, at those levels. And I, I enjoy it. That's, it's the only thing I really feel like I know. <laughs> I mean, whether it be in baseball, the rest of baseball, or in life, like the only thing I feel like I really have a handle on is the hitting stuff, you know? Where, I want to know when you got that mind. Like, 
when did you know you had that mind? Were you like eight years old? No, 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 no. No, I think for me, it's it's it, 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 it's pretty clear to me. I always played and I always hit and I always did well in terms of like hitting well in production or stats, like as a high school player, minor league player, even my first few years in the big leagues. But I had no idea why. Really? Yeah. It, it took it took me going like kind of down the drain uh, so bad that I got the hitting coach fired here. And uh, <laughs> when Greg Walker got hired here to come on as the hitting coach in 2003, the stuff I was doing wrong and the, what all my problems were, um, he came in and said, listen, I know how to fix all these things. And I've been where he had been out of the game about 10 years and he was, he had been really searching, you know, without getting all into that, you know, he had played the game a long time as well. And he's like, you know, I always felt like there was more, I always felt like there was stuff to learn. Well, he went out and learned it. He went and got with people, these real high level thinkers and, um, biomechanical stuff and really kind of like did a deep dive on it. And then he got hired here as a coach at my like lowest point, I think it was 2003. And it was that moment where you're like, okay, I can just keep doing what I'm going to be doing and maybe get, get out of this and get going good again. But you know, like struggles are right around the corner because you just know there's a lot of holes. You just know this won't hold up. Or you have somebody here that's telling you like, we can change this for good for now and forever, but you got to buy into it and you got to really dive in. And, you know, I chose to dive in. And then from that point on, from that point on, it, it's just been like a, you never know at all but you the advancing on it, right? Of learning it and just being hungry and obsessed really of learning it all from that point is, is really where it, it kind of took off. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Semantics, I guess, but being a tinkerer, <laughs> uh, you know, I've often heard that, that that tweaks to your stance are really a placebo. It's just to take your maybe the mental side away from it a little bit and hone in on one thing. And then all of a sudden you go three for three and you're like, oh, I got it. And then four days later you go, ah, I'm going to change this a little bit. So, I mean, how much of it literally for you was mental versus mechanical? I mean, can you can you sort it out now looking back? Yeah, um, I think are that those two things just intertwined. They're intertwined. I mean, no doubt about it. I think for me, and I tell guys this now, I work with some high school kids. Or I work with, you know, kids. And the way I think about where I want to be, say, like, um, at impact, right? Like what I'm in my mind, the snapshot of what, where I'd want to be at impact of a baseball has never changed since I started learning from walk where that was, what was proper and the, and the right way to be attacking a baseball at impact. Now, how you get there um, is is a different story. So when it came to tinkering with my stance um, and changing things and all that, and anybody around here that was here when I played, especially like my last four or five, six years would tell you it was not uncommon that I might have two or three stances throughout a day, not a week, but a day. And all of it was done in the name of getting to the destination of that. That never changed. It still hasn't changed as I sit here. So the final product of like where I wanted to be at impact with the swing that I wanted to put on it, I've not tinkered ever with that. It was more, 
on a day-to-day -day basis that I felt like what I was currently doing at that moment um, couldn't get me there. And I just was one of those guys where I couldn't stand to even go a couple outs that didn't look right to me and say, well, it'll come, it'll come. I've, I played with a lot of guys that were like, it'll come, it'll come, and then they're out of the game. <laughs> and it's like, and so I, it didn't happen right away, but like I probably, and sometimes you have some luck, like you change something up in your stance, like maybe this'll, maybe this'll help me, and maybe you have a good game. And then, okay, and I, I think I became very, very comfortable with being uncomfortable. So I could sit there in the middle of a bat and walk up there with, say, my hands, I don't know, like here, and by the fifth pitch, they might have been here. And it didn't phase me because it, it all didn't mean anything because it was all about, I was just making those moves to, uh, to try to accomplish where I wanted to end up. I didn't look at that as something I was changing. I looked at that as I was fighting the fight to get to the end point. So most people would be like alarmed. I mean, if you ask some of these guys to even, hey, open your stance a little bit. I've been doing this since I was 10. I will never change. This is what's made me who I am, or this is what this, and I, I just kind of became like comfortable with going, well, let's try it, let's experiment, let's tinker with it, you know, and not all of it worked and some of it, but again, it wasn't like I was trying to overhaul the whole philosophy behind the hitting. It was more just, and I also think my body, right? Like I didn't, I wasn't blessed with a great body and I felt like I showed up to the park a lot of times with something different than the day before. Some hip issues, um, I felt like on different days, what I maybe at that moment was making me successful because I was not opposed. I walk would tell you, Kelly would tell you, any of the guys that have been around here, I, I would do something that was very uncommon. I would change things when things were going well. That's dangerous to a lot of people. Is that because you anticipated? I just, yeah, because I got to know myself enough going, I know this worked yesterday, but it won't work today. Wow. Um, and so that's the kind of stuff where, again, but you got to know yourself. At that point, I had a lot of at bats in, but I really, I think it started with though knowing, really, really knowing at like the granular level what you're chasing. And that came from having great people around me and like Greg Walker, Mike Gellinger were the two big ones where, you know, I could go into a cage and take swings or be on the field and BP and take what I thought was a good BP. That feels pretty good. Like, I like that. Look over at them and they're like, that's not it. That won't hold up tonight. And I would sit there and go, okay, what then? Tell me. Cause I trusted them so much that I would change even feeling pretty good because if they didn't like it, then I didn't like it. And that's a trust that's hard to get with people in this game because you're not around, you know, there's a lot of, like you said earlier, there's a lot of turnover, there's a lot of things. So I was very lucky for about an eight year span where I had people watching me with eyeballs that knew what I felt like in my back foot. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's a hard level to get to. And I was lucky to have people like that around me. And, uh, but I was also really hungry to learn and always, you know, I just, I knew where my bread was buttered, you know, it was hitting. So like, I wanted to really kind of dive into it and know it as much as I can. And I'm glad I did because now being an ex player, I feel like I can teach it. Um, and I've had to learn stuff with that too, because you can't just teach it your way. Um, you have to learn some new things of how you relate to this person. I definitely know it my way from my words, my vocabulary, but you have to learn it to like express it to other people. And that's a whole other challenge when you're trying to coach. Well, first of all, where did you get the self-confidence to make changes like you're talking about? Well, I think it starts out with the fact that I, I think in general, I just wasn't a very confident person. Um, anyways, I think my confidence came from knowing that my swing was technically sound. So when I didn't feel like it was technically sound, 
my confidence kind of ebbed and flowed with that. So like the reverse of that would be there's some guys you play with that are like, I don't care about any of that. Like I could go up and ground out to the third baseman and roll over 10 balls in a row. And I'm just as dangerous on the 11th as bat when I walk up there. And I wasn't like that. I knew, I knew the swing well, and I, I know mechanically what needed to be there. So if it wasn't there, I was like, panic button. <laughs> like something needs to change right now. So um, again, I think it was one of those where it's, it's not so much, I, I was chasing till my mechanics got me to a point. My, my confidence went off of the mechanics for me. And that's not for everybody. Like I could be up there thinking about mechanics. That's something you hear as like the number one thing don't do. But I could be on deck or for whatever reasons have, I mean, not, I mean, Walk used to joke with me. He'd be like, you know, if I can just get you down to thinking seven simple mechanical thoughts up there, we'll be fine. Yeah. He would say that as a joke because it was, you know, it was like seven was a low number. But the reality was I could have a couple things in my head, you know, mechanically speaking, whether it was my right elbow or, or um, I could think about that kind of stuff. And And I think a lot of hitters do. They don't really give themselves credit for it. They might put another name on it and be like, oh yeah, I'm just thinking about, you know, driving the ball to the middle of the field. And they, there is some mechanical thoughts in there, but I, yes, I could think about mechanics a little bit more than the next guy. And um, so again, I was always just chasing, am I, am I sound? Am I good? Is this, is this approved? Is this, is this the swing that's, if it was, well then my confidence was off the charts. And so I always kind of just worked. Um, that's why I would change sometimes even when I would get hits and get results. Because to me, the results and the hits didn't really matter. It was about, I'm not good right now. It's, it's, it's about the, the swing being technically sound, you know? Do you so remember what, your what, longest over? I, I should know this. We should have been prepared, but I, um, I have no idea. I do. Um, I think it was 0 for 20-something. And I want to say I broke it in Toronto, but I believe it was 0 for 20-something. 20, Bob Beck, though? 6, 0 for 20. It was a 20-something. <laughs> Yeah, it was one of those years. It was, it was, oh, and I remember. So what were you like to be around? A socio, we know it's a sociopath. Yeah. You had to have been, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm trying to think if that was, again, I, there's also the, the mental layer of this where even when I got the handle on the mechanical stuff, like, I mean, 04 and 05 and 06 were some really good productive years in terms of statistics, but I, I, I was not good yet mentally processing things throughout the game. That came a little bit later. I think in 08, I had a really another, when I think back in my career, 03 was like the, the moment of low point that made me learn the swing. 08, I had another situation where I lost it again, but it wasn't really a physical thing. It was a mental thing. And that's when I started to really hone in on, because at that point I was 32 years old, right? And I remember someone telling me like, listen, like if you don't get a handle, like you've been doing the same stuff mentally of how you how you process this game on a daily basis, it all ends here soon for you at 32 because at that point your body's going downhill. And so I had to make a choice then, almost like I did with the swing, to clean up the mental part. And, I, and then if you look after that, it didn't happen right away, but like in 2010, 11, 12, I maybe had some of my best years ever as an old person. And so I credit that all to the mental side of it in terms of being able to, but I'm trying to figure out where the, where the offer, but it, it probably was not good. It probably was not pleasant. There was probably a lot. I can only imagine how many times Walk told me to shut up during that streak. <laughs> Will you just shut up and go down the end of the bench? What do you like as a coach? Um, well, you know, I, I think the thing about me is I was a catcher. My whole life, I got drafted as a catcher, was in the minor leagues as a catcher for a little bit. 
So, you know, you get painted with a brush as a first baseman, DH, kind of slug type <laughs> player. And that really was never my mind. You know, like I was a catcher. I, so I always was, you know, um, thinking like a catcher my whole career. And I feel like that helped me in a lot of ways. But so I, I love the, the nuances of the game in terms of like all the bunt plays and the cutoffs and relays and that was <clears throat> who I was. And like, that's, that's more me than maybe like if some person on the outside was just watching games and didn't really know it, they'd be like, yeah, he's a first baseman. He's a home run RBI. Like he's not that he's like one of those guys. He's not the middle infield type. Cause you just have like, I mean, look at the guys who are managers, right? You have catchers. Yeah. It's like, you have those guys that are where those types of players, um, you know, the slick, the, the middle infielder that just knew how to do everything. I'm not saying I was those guys, but I'm saying my mind. So as a coach, well, I'm coaching kids, it's like all pe ta uh, paying attention to detail on that stuff. Like that is very much like I don't let anything go that I feel like is those small bits and pieces of the game, which I'm sure is annoying to a 13 year old kid or a high school kid, some of them. Um, but again, like that's just my I, I, I just I really love that stuff. And I think it's very important because you just don't know if you're going to be some monster hitter. You know, especially when you're teaching with younger kids, like you have to assume that you're going to be mediocre. So what's going to make you be stand out? It's going to be the baseball IQ of knowing where to be on a field and being smart. So if to be smart, you have to know all that stuff, you know. So if I were to ask one of your players that you coach for their impersonation of Coach Paul Canerica, what would the hallmarks of that impersonation be? Where would they go? Oh, my God. These kids are right now, I'm coaching a 13-year team, and they're at that age where, you know, they're starting to, like, think they're really cool. And uh, the, the, even they, they mock me to my face sometimes. Um, they don't know around the corner, though, I'm going to start running them because they're getting old enough where you can run them. I've been hesitant the last year, but um, they're going to start paying a price here soon. Um, I, I, just think, I think, if anything, I coach third, right? So, uh, and just – the amount of uh, situational prepare, the, the amount of situations I'm trying to prepare them for on every pitch that you can even see them like rolling their eyes. Like, I understand I tag on a ball in the air, I freeze on a line drive, I'm going on the ground, I'm doing this, I'm coming back and fall ground. Like, I, I, but I do it every single pitch. Like, I'm on them, I'm on them, right? Because I'm, I'm, big leaguers forget. That, that's right, right? <laughs> and then as soon as I don't do it, it's, it, I'll tell you what, when you coach these kids, you think something like, God, the right fielder looks a little shallow. He should be a little deeper. I swear to you, the next ball's just over his head. It's amazing. Coaching in general, and I know it's only like youth baseball, um, it is I, – now I see like the anxiety that like say my dad had or my parents – or like somebody watching that has a son or daughter playing a sport, you can never know because you just simply do not have the bat in your hand. You have no control. As much as you try to like control it, you have zero. And – like I'm sitting there looking at the field, looking at everything that can go wrong. And like, again, if you're not thinking of, I feel like if I'm thinking about it all, it, it can be okay. But as soon as I miss something, it inevitably comes back to bite you. And I'm sure like these guys here, even at this level, um, it, it, you just feel like you are so helpless sometimes. It's all on the players to go out there and kind of do it. But at 13, which I'm coaching, um, again, the listening might not be at its best and the buy-in factor, <laughs> the buy-in factor might not be quite what I wanted at times, but um, it's, it's one of those, like, you know, once you've had, when you haven't seen somebody in a long, if you see, if you see some every, everybody every day, if you see the same person every day, you don't see like their hair, like talk about BJ, his beard. If you're around him every day, you're like, I never really noticed your beard got so long, 
But if you haven't seen him in two years, you're like, oh my God, look at the beard on this guy. <laughs> I have to trust the fact that I'm seeing these kids every day and I feel like we're not getting any better. We stink. Like this is not, these kids haven't learned a damn thing since I've been coaching them. But the people that jump in and out of the frame are like, wow, this kid is really developing this area and all that. But I don't see it as much because I'm right there with him all the time. That's, that's the best way to probably put it. You're like, no, he's not. Yeah, I'm like, he stinks. <laughs> he should take two weeks off and quit. <laughs> okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You got traded twice very early in your big league career, and you ended up in the right place, but... Can you remember what you felt like? You had to be really pissed at one point, and then you had to be like, again? Yeah, I think the first time, I was, I was never upset, because I, I think I was always instilled in me, whether it was my dad, whatever, this is a business. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, and also that if you're getting traded, someone on the other side wants you. Um, but the first time I got traded, I was coming from like kind of a older veteran type situation where I was scuffling and I was going to a younger team. So I kind of was welcoming to it, or I, I wouldn't say I was welcoming, but I wasn't mad. I was thinking, okay, like, this could be a good thing. Um, the second time when I came traded to the White Sox, I think that was the first time I really thought about, like, again, being basically kind of like a one-dimensional player, um, hitter, not playing the infield, middle infield, not being a runner, not being a fourth outfielder type or outfielder. That was probably the first time, like, when I got traded to the White Sox of, like, this is probably it here. Like, um, like I was 22 years old. And that was probably the first time it occurred to me that like, what if I was like out of the game? You know, like this could be the end of the road here if I don't do anything. Um, so that was probably my thoughts going into this. But when I got to the first spring training here, which was in Tucson then, um, it was a great group. It was a young, it was, there was a lot of people that were in the same boat as me. And it, that makes you feel comfortable right away. Jerry Manuel was the manager who at that moment, I think was a great manager for me and that team because he was a patient guy and very like had a good bedside manner um and it didn't happen right away but like i could tell from the beginning i was a little bit better there and i was kind of trending better and i think in may and obviously as a young player the one thing you're afraid of most like guys here today if you if you haven't been in the you're afraid of getting sent back right you just want to be there you just want to be in the big leagues like that's the big thing and I, I even getting into like may of that year june i still wasn't sure like I think I was hitting like maybe 250 with like six homers and like 25 RBIs. Like not bad, but like not like breaking down the door either. And I still was nervous. I was still like, I don't know, like this every day feels like this needs to be great. I remember Jerry just coming up one day being like, man, you all right? I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know, like whatever. And he's like, listen, dude, you're going to be here. Like you're not going anywhere. You're going to be here the rest of the year. And I was like, you know, and then wow. everything started coming. Like, don't just, you're going to be, you're going to be here. Because as a young player, you feel like every move you make is like the difference between you might get sent out or you stand. It's just a, it puts it on such a pedestal that it's hard to your your talent to come out. And uh, at least then, I think now, to be honest, if there is talk about like nowadays and you know now and then, it is easier to break into the big leagues nowadays because there's younger people. Your peers are more around you everywhere. 
you can go from college into the, I will say that I will stand and die on that hill. That when I, when I came up to the big leagues, I think there was like three guys on the team that were 40. Wow. There right? was guys smoking in the clubhouse. <laughs> like you walk in, they're like, 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 and then they look at you and be like, like, like it was uncomfortable, <laughs> like, right. Like it was an uncomfortable situation. So I will always say that. And I'm sure before me and before me, before me, like it was harder to come up years ago than it is now. Um, because there's just been this youth movement. If you look at rosters, and the, and the facts prove it, you know, the, the rosters, the ages have gone down, and um, it, 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 you can walk in and feel more like yourself. And if you feel like yourself, the talent of whatever it is you do, is, it tends to be more what will come out. You know, that wasn't the case when I was a young player, you know. Is that where the foot speed came from on that inside the park homer? <laughs> People to this day, I get, that came up the other day on the golf course. Like someone was... Uh, you know, breaking my chops about something. And I'm like, listen, you can say what you want, but I'm like, I do have an inside the park. And they're like, what? Like, they thought I was joking. They were like, they thought it was the biggest joke. I'm like, no, they're like in the big leagues, you have a uh, inside the parker. I'm like, look it up. I'm like, and so of course we sat there on the course, looked it up and, you know, I had, a, we didn't see video of it. I had to explain how it happened, but um, yeah, that was definitely, I mean, as slow as I was, you have to admit, like that. That's why this game's great. Like stuff like that happens. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, how does a guy like me get it inside the parker? How did you feel when you got into the dugout? After <sighs> I mean, you know, I think hit me the most is like I was like that counts as a real home run, right? Like that's like that's just the same. That, at the end of the year, like that's the same as a real home run. Like it's not. And I was just thinking like that's pretty cool, you know. <laughs> Well, uh, by the way, this is part one of probably a seven part. Uh, if we continue this podcast yeah. over the years, you're, you are coming back. We got a million things to get to. But before we let you go this week, um, we have to mention 05. And I don't want to I don't want to get on Scott Petsednik's bad side. But as as good as that club was at all the little stuff, as great as the rotation was that year, you guys mashed. A lot of homers. Right. And yeah. Scott, I think, had a triple and a home run, and you know, obviously in the World Series. But not that you're offended by it, but like nobody mentions how, how you guys, like you did the big things really well too. Yeah. It matters, right? I think it does. I mean, I think you have to have the capability of uh, popping a three run homer, you know, throughout the season that kind of wins you a game. I mean, I think Earl Weaver said something about that once. <laughs> um, but here's what I'd say about that team and specifically what you're talking about. I think what it is, is it's, it's, it's not even about the statistics of like this team hits a bunch of homers or they're, but I, with that team though, showed up to play a low scoring, tough two to one game and it got very comfortable. And so even though we hit a lot of homers, we didn't, because what happens is if you're a team that just relies on the homer like mentally and like that's what you, because it's fun. If you're a team that kind of like gets into that, as soon as a game, like you get into like the sixth or seventh inning and it's one of those games that's not that, you're like, oh geez, like this is, a t this is one of the tough ones. And you lose that game, you know? And I feel like that team, what that team was good on, like we hit a bunch of homers, but we never got caught up in saying like, well, that's what we do. We play, I mean, you can look at that season. I believe it was like opening day, first game after the break and the World Series clinchers were all one nothing games. Um, we felt comfortable in those games. We felt like that was our style of game and we preferred that style of game and never were nervous. We felt like we would win more than those than we lost. And so I think that's the trick is that if you can hit your homers and you can, but you can't get, 
you can't want the easy wins. Like, oh, let's go blow these guys out 10 to two. And then you find yourself in a five to four game in the seventh. And you're like, well, this isn't how we drew it up. You have to draw it up as the five to four game. And if it turns into the blowout, beautiful. But that's, that's the, but that's hard every day, by the way, because you get tired, you know, and you want the easy games. You want the easy wins, but you can't do it. What was 06 like? Being the defending champs, that, that's that's different, right? It's, yeah, it's well, totally I would, vibe. I think it was, you know, again, you looking back on it, at the time I probably wouldn't have said this, and I probably didn't know it, but like you look back on it, and I'd say, well, I think that team fell in maybe a little bit. The first half of that year, we were hitting, everything was clicking again. I think from like the break, I think we were like the best team again at the break that year. Um, but I would say that that team didn't want. We got into a little bit of a dogfight there in September, and just kind of like that's just too hard kind of thing. That's what it felt like. I mean, maybe that's, I can remember personally, like, do we really want to like, cause you know, the September before was very hard to get in. We blew that lead and everything. So I, I just, teams have that, I guess it was stamina. Did we have the stamina to want to get into that type of fight again? And we certainly had some of the goods. I think some of the, some guys got hurt or whatever, but we were a really good team for a lot of that year. But when it came to that time, like at the end, we just were short. And we fell short, and I think it was a lot because we just kind of ran out of gas, which could be understandable. Maybe that's why teams don't repeat. Right. Um, but that was—it's hard to win. Really but hard. like, it's hard to repeat because you, you give so much the year before that it's tough to have that much in the tank again. So credit to the teams that do. But that's kind of the general thing. It's kind of like what I said: like you don't have the the will to want to do all those things to like win those ball games that are, you know, cold in September and like going out there. You you tend not to be as and then we didn't, and that's what you get out of it. I want to ask you one thing before we let you go, a short question. But we're in this, in this conference room in Glendale, if you're not watching the video, and we have all these pictures around us of 05. And I want to ask you if you could have one picture of 05. It doesn't even need to be a picture that was taken. But if you have one memory that you could have blown up on your wall, what would that be from that season? Hmm. Man. Um... Funny, serious, whatever. Jesus, uh, you know that team. You, I spoke with Jerry this past week. I hadn't spoken with Jerry in a while, and uh, you know I was telling him, "It's like you think about the World Series every day. I think about it every day. I mean, like it comes into my mind some point every day. So um, it's a big deal, and um, it definitely is like a life-changing event. The fact that you win one of those things, um, I, you know, I, I would say. Let me see some of these pictures. Maybe it would spark my yeah i mean i we got one of you pumping your fist yeah that's a good one right there that's a, that's an awkward looking photo isn't it <laughs> one photo i i would say that it would be obviously nothing nothing um competes with the actual and the end result of like winning the world series but i'll tell you like the pride i felt in the team we were so close to like blowing a 15 game lead like what was it 15 and a half or whatever it was and uh i wish like you know after we we clinched in detroit to get into the playoffs and at that point even before we won the world series like this felt like a really special team because of that and you could just felt like the weight was off our shoulders and so it's almost like if i could have one picture it would probably be like maybe the, the start a picture of us before we started the Boston series because 
that team went through such a roller coaster and like was so not who they were and a lot of moments there because we were questioning everything. But like when we showed up to play at the beginning of that postseason, it was like, no, no, like we're back and like we're, and you could just tell, we went out and hammered them the first game. And it was like, yeah. And so, yeah, the stuff at the end and all that, like all these pictures here, like this was great. Um, but yeah, just the amount of, I think it was like the amount of pride just to have conquered that thing to get in was such a big deal. I think about that a lot because man, we, we just felt like we had already died like that September because it was such a pressure packed thing. And obviously now as an older person, you look back and it's like, it's not life and death. It isn't, but man, it felt like it at the time. Like we felt like we were going to be, you know, so definitely like, you know, that, that was a big moment, I think. And it gets lost in the shuffle sometimes because of the end result. But um, man, it was, uh, it was a great, it was a great, uh, it was a great run and a bunch of great guys. And, and uh, obviously it was, it fits in with the city that, that's, I'll say this, that's the one thing. If we would have known how much it would have meant to people, I know people that were with the Cubs and everything felt the same thing. Like if you would have known the impact you had on people while you were playing, you probably would have gripped it way too tight and failed. Because man, you, I had no idea the, uh, the, the reach of how that hit people. You know what I mean? To this day, you get people coming up to you like in tears and some, you know, that are like, hey, I want to thank you because they tell their story, you know, and it's like, uh, man, I, I'm glad I didn't know this was on the line here when I was <laughs> playing because I would have been ripping it too tight. But that's the thing. And that's what I mean. You know, I try to talk to some of these guys today about that is that, you know, it's like this matters to people big time. So, you know, go out there and, and, and get it done because you can because you can get it done. You know, last one real quick. Are you Pauly and Paul at the same time or are they two different people? So when you hear Pauly, are you baseball, Canerco? And when you're Paul, you're civilian? This is, this has a very uh, <laughs> this has a very uh, Ken Harrelson oh, and Hawk Harrelson kind of yeah no I'm just Paul all the time I hope um, <laughs> yeah I don't have an alter ego um, you know but, uh, but no when one you hear really Paulie, you know there's there's a baseball side to it yes 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 when someone calls me Pauly or like I see people that don't know me call me that because no one that really knows me calls me that you know no one like hey Pauly what's going on maybe I don't know but yeah definitely. Uh, the the poly chance and like the that's how I think most fans that I don't know would relate to me as uh, in terms of how I they they probably think that's how everybody calls right. me that but yeah no it's not it's it's just Paul. You talk about people who really know you. Bob Bechtel was mouthing me the answer to that question as you were giving it. Yeah, <laughs> which is amazing. Bob's an old pro. Bob's been here you know longer than just about anybody now, and. Uh, how, how have you been here this long? You know, you must you got something on. Flying under the radar. <laughs> under the radar. Yeah, there's a few of you guys out here that like to fly under the radar. Uh, he's one of the, Bob's the second best PR guy in the game. Problem is all the rest are tied for first. <laughs> you hate to see it. Paul Canerco, always a pleasure talking to you. Absolutely. Thanks Thank for you having for me. This. I appreciate it. Thank appreciate you. Thank you.